So Tony, what did you think of today? You know, I thought, thinking about today, like 10 years ago, yeah. the same discussion around, do people have the talent to implement RPA? Do um, um, the technology is gonna revolutionize all the things that we do? It's remarkably similar in terms of content. Right, very similar. Um, is it different now in the fact that um, when we first started doing these events 10 plus years ago, it was a little of, let's complain about service providers and then a lack of innovation. And now- 20 years ago. 20 years ago, yeah. <laughs> and now it's a bit more, the lack of innovation is really on the buyer as well. I think the the, there's, there's no doubt about it that the buyer is in large part, do, the reason why there isn't as much innovation as there is today. That said, some of the technology solutions today just aren't suitable for buyers. I mean, most of the conversations today are things enterprises can't implement. I mean, I can't stick my human data into your systems on the public cloud because it contains personal information. And everyone here has seen the GDPR addendums that stick on the back end of your contracts, and you know I can't stick it there because you can't keep it safe in whatever that cloud is. Furthermore, when you start looking at exit strategies and the like, um, you all have moved from, you have all seen your buyers move from um, software provider or service provider between them all. This type of stuff maybe is a little different where I could export my RPA business processes pretty easily. I don't know how I'd export this. So this whole cloud or this whole, um, you know, uh, AI piece of work. And so I think there are some things that the buyers need solutions for before we're going to buy on it. So these are the speed yep. bumps, headwinds. And then we hear um, all this talk, particularly from the provider side around responsible AI, ethical AI, all this sort of stuff. Do you think, yeah, I need that? Or do you think these are just these, these guys are out to make money? <laughs> uh, no, no, I, well, no, look, the buyers are out, to, are out to make the money, right? There's no doubt every single investment comes with a business case. Yeah. It's, this is not frivolous investment on our side. Everyone is out there trying to figure out the right piece of technology. A lot of the buyers basically are a little scared to make some investments in some technology today because they want to pick the right one. And it's hard to pick the right one when there's so much hype out there. So I, is it responsible? I, I'm not so sure in terms of that being the big selection criteria, but no doubt about it, we are looking to reduce our costs. We are looking to improve our service. We're looking to improve our ability to make more money. Okay. And when you look at something like these generative AI uh, conversations that are coming along, what is your first thought? Is it great, more opportunity to save money? Or is this, this is really interesting. This is a chance to do things faster, quicker, smarter, more, you know, with more enrichment. You know, what is, what is your first thought? Yeah, well, my first thought is unlike RPA, where it was, can I click the buttons faster? Can I move the widgets together? Can I bring data from different systems together in a more automated way? we're talking about here is computational um, queries, if you want to call it that, are way different. Significantly different in terms of analyzing information. The ability to do, you know, not just, you know, um, data in terms of understanding the tone in which something's written, which is something you could never do before, as well as combining data from all different sources. So I think it's actually significantly different in terms of the amount of data I can combine and pull them together, as well as being able to train things on training the technology on big, huge data sets that are outside yeah, yeah. of mine. 
Yeah, it's almost like the whole RPA concept was how do we take humans out of the loop? And the generative AI concept is bringing humans back into the loop to get more value from... Until we can actually move them out of the loop, if that's ever going to happen. <laughs> okay. They're only in there right now to query things. I mean, um, I mean, I was looking at some contract technology just recently, and I was on it with the general counsel, and you get a supplier's contract that would come on in, and you could see, or a buyer's side contract that we gave it to you, and they could bounce it against, you know, there's only about 100 terms in every contract. Pretty simple, you know, and then they could see what was missing, what was present, the positions on them, and I thought that was kind of cool. And then what it on, went on to say is, you know, you could make things mutual just by clicking a button. And you can instantly change the language in a contract to make it clause one-sided into mutual. Or make it one-sided, make it stronger, or make it weaker. Just with the click of a button. And my general counsel was sitting there, and he could see that, wow, that could significantly save us time. But you still needed the counsel there to realize, did it need to be mutual, or did it need to be one-sided? And those are the types of decisions that we still have to have. Yeah. It's going to reduce the time. Yeah, and then... We spent an awful lot of time, I mean, you were around when we wrote that first piece on RPA with Blue Prism uh, 11, nearly 11 years ago. Right. And um, the whole point then was, oh, how many, uh, how many less people do we need to operate these processes? And I think we went through six, seven, eight years of hell trying to figure out, hey, you can't really take a lot of people out of the loop because this is very fragmented, it's very brittle, it needs attended automation, and most of the deals are attended. Um, do you think that shifted the mindset now to um, how do we do more with what we've got rather than how do we keep trying to do That's more? That's exactly what we're at right now. That's exactly our question. In our business, for example, taking potential risks or um, business opportunities and being able to ingest more of them in an automated way is pretty significant because every one of our brokers, for example, sends us their uh, risk of something that we could write as an insurance company in their own bizarre format. And there's lots of different formats out there. And they come in multiple emails and be able to do that analysis. So if we could look at more, we could make more money, right? It's simple as that. You make It's a sales funnel, but we just can't get to it all. So how can we do more and, with, for, with the same investment as we have today? I do think that some of the value propositions on the technology aren't as strong as they could be, but we're working on them. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, I run a smaller company. A lot of people here run businesses. I don't get up in the morning and think, how many people can I get rid of? I think, how can I get more out of people I got? How can we take our <laughs> underwriters in our world and how can we actually write more business is the question yeah. that we have. If you're writing 12 policies a month, let's say, for example, that's not a real number, you know, how can we write 10 times that, right? by presenting things in strike zones for people to consider. And that strike zone being computed, you know, through this type of technology is exactly where we're at today. Yeah, yeah. The other difference, I think, was when we, we looked at RPA, we looked at emerging like process mining and all that sort of stuff. However much we wanted to lord this, the impact, you still needed people with coding skills, IT skills to implement this stuff. In fact, you know, uh, UI paths a low code solution. You can't do it with business people, right? Um, whereas when you start to look at ChatGPT, for example, and you start to look at the emergence of GPT-4 and some of the capabilities there, it's a completely different mindset from 
developing code and needing a computer science degree. I think about when we were implementing RPA 10 years ago, we would set up the robotic you know, group in the company. And their job was to take and scale your Blue Prism, your automation anywhere, whatever the choice you made was across the company, small use case by small use case by small use case, right? And because the technology is fairly simple to implement. Yeah. This is not as simple all the time to implement. No, that it is not. Um, so as we, uh, you know, we look at what's changed, where we're going, um, you know, as we look to the, to the next, you know, we may be going through a challenging economy, but it's one where I feel like we're not falling off a cliff anymore. We're just getting used to it being a little tough. But what do you, what do you think we'll be talking about next year? I think it'll be a lot more of this type of conversation we're right. having this year. It's one year is not enough time for change, really. Right. I think there'll be a lot more use cases of the application of the technology. Yeah. Hopefully, there'll be solutions out there from the service provider community that will allow companies to use the technology in a secure way. I think that will be really, really important for this to go there. But I do think that yeah. your kids are going to be writing more papers this way. The dating world is going to be like all through ChatGPT responses on messages. It's going to be a really wild world out there. Good. It's on the retail side. It's going to be different, <laughs> but on the business side, we still, it's still, we still need more examples of right. it. More examples, absolutely. Um, well, we're all coming back tomorrow for another round of conversation where we're going to talk about GPS models. We're going to be talking um, about the cloud shifts, new technologies, emerging technologies, uh, more things to be aware of. So, uh, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, I know we're going to have a drinks reception very shortly, um, so I don't want to bore the hell out of everybody. Do we have any thoughts anyone else wants to share from the day? It doesn't mean very quiet. Here we go. Saurabh? Yeah, I wanted to, given that, Tony, you're up there, um, a, lot of, a lot of vendors blame procurement, right? Yeah. Procurement hasn't changed. You know, we, we can't deliver innovation because procurement does the same old stuff that we were doing 20 years back. You're a CPO now, so, you know, how do you respond to that? Yeah, I think that, you know, I think that's the conversation was earlier uh, said in terms of, you know, we still do deals in terms of FTEs, right? And that's because I'm not willing to, because service providers don't stick up capital to pay claims. So I don't know if giving them a percentage of the winnings is the appropriate way of doing things, to be fair. If they were willing to hold claims for asbestos claimed, putting up dollars for asbestos claims from 1973, I think that would be an interesting place to go. But you're in a different business, and therefore I think that your risk and reward scenarios are a little bit different. That said, there's no reason why we can't have things that are aligned in terms of goals, and I just don't mean SLAs. Why couldn't we have more rewards that are paid if things really work well? And I think there's some more performance-based items that could be worked on a little bit better. Um, I always remember a piece of negotiation trading that I had that a lot of you probably are aware of is that one negative thing you say in a negotiation shuts down creativity for one full hour. So if you're trying to close a deal, and the only way to do a deal closure, as you all know, is through a creative problem-solving exercise, why would you say something negative? And why can't we actually use more performance-based measures that will be darn always whipping everyone, but instead trying to incent different types of performance. Okay. Are we going to shift the mindset? Because, you know, we've been talking for a long time about this shift from effort to performance uh, to purpose. Um, but it just feels 
you know, we're so connected with deals out in the industry right now, it's almost going more and more effort-based in terms of these large deals, they have massive consolidation efforts, clients wanting to go from 30 to five suppliers, they want pre-inflationary pricing, that sort of thing. Do you think that's going to continue or we're just at the end of this end of this phase? So I wish I had another couple of buyers that could give other opinions, but I do think that more and more of this technology that we're seeing today are things that we want to own. More and more of it is. Um, or it's cloud-based technology, like a Workday, for example, which is just you know synonymous now with HR technology, right? So there's no differentiator in that area. If we want to own it, and we can use an insure tech or a fintech, we're going to go down that path. The ability to access inexpensive labor in foreign countries is still going to be something that some companies have advantages of that we don't, yep. right? Um, that said, I know that there are some um, BPO providers that are looking at, you know, opening up or establishing stronger consulting teams. And there are some BPO providers that are fabulous consulting teams that have opened up BPO areas as well. So I think there's some opportunity to cross-sell and create different types of services from those companies because there's always a need for smart people to solve problems. Um, however, I don't know if the deal is going to change yet. Deal is not going to change. Okay. You look very pensive, Jeremy. Any any thoughts from you? You got such a loud, clear voice. <laughs> Thank you, Phil. Um, yeah, I'm I, I'm curious about um, what you think is going to change in terms of um, the time horizon and the um, multi-sourced um, partner universe that enterprises are going to choose to pursue. If you've got an organization that's seeking to have uh, partnerships which become deeper, does that mean you're going to have to have fewer of them to have real partnerships? And does that mean deals are going to get shorter or longer? And what will determine you know, what that landscape looks like? Such a good question. I'm actually seeing more suppliers today than ever before. So we're seeing, having more conversations. I'm executing more NDAs today, looking at more solutions than ever before. And that's because to the credit of the service provider community and the solutions providers, really, they're putting out more and more products. Um, the contract cycles, I don't know what you're seeing on the outsourcing side, so I wouldn't say that, but from a technologies provider stuff, all shorter. I mean, the idea of doing a seven-year deal, I mean, um, who used to say, uh, Phil, three years is fact and five years is fiction? Yeah. Um, you can't say that any longer because I don't want to do a software deal necessarily. It's a three-year deal now almost. It's almost one plus one plus one almost because they can be implemented so much quicker. How can we go there and move there? So I think we're seeing shorter time technology deals just intuitively. I don't have the data on it. And I think that we're going to see more and more niche companies show up. So I'm seeing more, I'm seeing a broader ecosystem, not a deeper ecosystem. Yep, definitely. Good, good, good. All righty. We talked a lot about RPA. He was in the originals himself, AJ. Is the conversation similar or completely different? No, I, I agree with Tony. We're in, and you were talking about many of the same things that we talked about 10 years ago when this was all getting started. The fundamentals are still the same to do it successfully. It's just the impact that it has the potential to have and how quickly it can have is, is different. Um, I still think there are some fundamentals within the business that are going to make this successful or going to make it fail, just like everything else that we've talked about over the last 10 years. If you don't do change well, if you don't manage your, your processes well, if you don't manage your data well, you're going to struggle with this just like you struggle with anything else, even though it's easier 
to get outcomes out of. There are still fundamentals that you've got to that you've got to implement that we've been talking about for a long, long time. Excellent, thanks, Eddie. I think as well, it's um, when people did RPA, um, a lot of it got pushed on to the people lower down the stack to actually implement the software, and the people higher up the stack just like to talk about it. I think with generative AI, this is affecting everybody, and people want to know how does this going to impact my job. It's like almost a consumer piece of technology now. It's like the iPhone. Everyone wants to be able to use it because they all use it. These are generations of kids now, right. right now, that are coming out that have had an iPhone since they were a single-digit kid. I think that that is definitely exciting every CXO in the business today about how you can use this piece of technology. RPA was a little bit harder to understand because a lot of executives are so far away from widget moving between teams and getting input, but now they can actually use it on their on their iPhone and actually, you know, how many of you use LinkedIn? And then it now is giving you ways you can respond to an email or a response. You know, you just hit a response and you don't have to think about it anymore. 